I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, here we go. Quiet! Problem! Meet the Rep Squad, a supergroup of a critic, a blogger, a scholar, and a lady bridging together Los Angeles' sprawling movie scene, one repertory screen at a time. I'm Monica Castillo, freelance writer and USC Annenberg Film Critic Fellow. And I'm Kristen Sales, a film writer and blogger from Los Angeles. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. I'm a master's candidate at the Brian Singer Division of Cinema and Media Studies at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Well, that was a mouthful. I'm Lady P. (laughs) I'm a real lady. Um, And I also host and produce another podcast called FlixWise. And I'm so thrilled to be joining you lovely ladies on our inaugural episode. We have so many ladies with now a real lady. Yes, I'm the only true lady of the bunch. Every bunch has got to have a real lady. Yeah, we need at least one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Sales, please explain to us, what is repertory cinema? Well, repertory cinema to me is just uh, the same as like revival cinema, which just means that it's not first run movies. So a rep house is a movie theater that shows basically old movies or second run movies and it used to be, and it still is on, uh, in some places, uh, sort of a haven for seeing films on film. So older prints, archival prints, stuff you wouldn't see anywhere else. So repertory cinema sort of bridges, uh, you know, the course of film history and shows stuff from, you know, every time and shows things that you wouldn't see at the regular, you know, AMC uh, theaters. Stuff you just can't get on Netflix. <laughs> so that's I think that that's what keeps people interested in this kind of uh, cinema experience. And these special events are worth the traveling for, which is why we want to bring them to you and to your attention. Um, one of the biggest local repertory events is coming up, the TCM Classic Film Festival. When is the TCM Classic Film Festival? Um, this year, it's the weekend of April 28th to May 1st, so last weekend in uh, this month. And as ever, it's in Hollywood, in the Hollywood and Highland area, home of a lot of great movie theaters, the Egyptian, the El Cap, and, you know. The, the TCL Chinese The theater. TCL Chinese, formerly Grauman's. We can call it Grauman's. It's Grauman's in our hearts. Lady P, you have a couple questions well, for us? Well, yeah. I'm actually the only one of the four of us who has never been to the fest. So I'm hoping you guys can, you know, share some of your uh, past experiences at the fest and maybe give listeners and myself a primer about what they can expect from the fest. So uh, let's start with Anne. How, how, how many times have you been to the fest, first of all? I have been twice now. Yes, this year will be my third time at the festival. Um, and it's the wonderful thing about film festivals, especially in Los Angeles, is not only is it an opportunity like sales was pointing out to really see the kinds of movies that you don't normally get to see, 
it also ends up becoming a place where you can hang out with the kind of movie geeks you don't usually get to meet. Um, this is actually where Kristen Sales and I first met. Aww. Aww. Two years ago. But one of my favorite moments, like film festival moments, actually happened last year. They screened a new restoration of a film alternately called Stairway to Heaven or A Matter of Life and Death from 1946. It's an Archer's Filmmaker Technicolor movie um, that is notable for a lot of reasons. But the reason that it was being shown in particular at TCM Festival last year was so that uh, Michael Powell, the director's uh, widow, who's also known as Thelma Schoonmaker, the multi-editing Oscar award winner, um, was there to actually speak about the film and speak about her husband's legacy and about Martin Scorsese's influence in getting a lot of these Technicolor films that hadn't been shown a lot uh, restored and rescreened. And then afterwards, I got to shake her hand. And it was- Did you cry? I cried afterwards, (laughs) but not during. Good. (laughs) Never let them see you cry. <laughs> Although, you know, some of these movies, I think, so they're what, trying to get you to cry. Oh, they're definitely totally. tear-jerkers. Isn't yeah. that the theme this year? Moving images? Moving mm-hmm. pictures? Moving pictures. Moving well, pictures. I think this year crying is encouraged. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a bit. But yeah. uh, so I, I know sales is holding out on a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not holding out. You know, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to me when we get to me. Well, I think that's a good transition point. Sales, favorite memory of the fest? Um... Well, I've been to every festival since 2011, um, and that was very emotional for me, even though the theme was not uh, moving pictures that year. It was because um, uh, Peter O'Toole was being honored that year, and my editor at the time knew that I was uh, sort of in the middle or just ending sort of my Peter O'Toole filmography project, which I did, which I tried to just watch every movie that I could. So I was sort of in the middle of this obsession, and this festival just sort of landed in my lap. And even though I don't have, or I didn't at the time have, you know, Turner Classic Movies, the TV channel, obviously I knew, you know, what the brand was. And I was like, Peter O'Toole, I got to do it. He's doing the hand and footprint ceremony. And I went to the uh, live taping of the uh, career spanning interview with Robert Osborne. And it was, you know, really, really cool. And then they just, I was hooked from then on. And I've been to every subsequent year, so... Oh, gosh, my favorite memory. That's hard because, you know, yeah, I did meet Anne. That's a good one. Um, and then uh, I think just the this is so corny about the people is like meeting the people. And I think it cannot be overstated how much TCM is sort of like they foster sort of a community and a family. And you see the same people over and over again. So the more frequently you go to the festival, the more friends you make. So that's really awesome, and it's the exact type of person that you want to hang out with when you're waiting in line and getting punchy at the midnight screening and (laughs) having a really good time and going to the after parties with because it's, you know, um, conversations can break out in line about anything. Like, I was waiting in line. I don't remember what year it was, but I was waiting in line for the Harold Lloyd movie, and a, a guy in front of me was just talking about the Three Stooges, and then everyone around him started talking about the Three Stooges, and it just broke out because everyone knew what the other person was talking about. And you can, everyone has a certain level of encyclopedic knowledge about classic film, and not not even classic film necessarily. I think people there, in general, are just movie enthusiasts. So you can find someone to talk about, you know, the newest Avengers movie with the same kind of um, enthusiasm and passion as you know talking about a 
a Brisson movie. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's uh, a really, a really exciting uh, like atmosphere just to be in. Well, now I'm kind of hurt because we didn't meet. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 true. Actually, we were at the same festival in in 2011, and we went to the same Peter O'Toole events, and we did not meet. But um, let's see. That was my first time actually coming out to the West Coast. I had been a longtime TCM fan um, and a huge Peter O'Toole fan. So when I found out he was doing the handprint ceremony and all that jazz, I was like, I have to go. So it was my senior year. I spent all of my tax money basically on the plane ticket. I stayed with a friend half the time. Then she left, like moved back east halfway during my stay. Ended up having to stay in a hostel in Santa Monica and commute in the other wow. half. Whoa. And like, oh yeah, no, I really wanted to be here. This um, is the uh, commute from Santa Monica <laughs> is the real LA experience. Let yeah, me tell you, that was a hour long bus ride, and I was like, I'm never coming out here again. And now I live here, so <laughs> you know, that'll you teach know, me. You know, slightly better now though. Yeah, not to take the bus. <laughs> not to commute from Santa Monica. Yeah. That other too. Sorry, well, Lady P. How many yet still haven't learned that lesson? Rule number one. Um, but yeah, favorite memory of the fest? Oh, goodness. Did it, but, I, I mean, I assume the bus ride was not the highlight. The bus ride was not the highlight, but I will say, like, bar none, the favorite memory was I was actually a bus ride into Hollywood Boulevard, and I think it was maybe Friday, so it was traffic, and I was so stressed. I was going to miss the screening of Beckett in the morning that had yep. uh, a talk with Peter O'Toole and Ben Mankiewicz, and I was almost in tears, and I'm, like, trying to flash my press badge to as many people, like, let me in, let me in, and they're like, okay, we have two seats, you and you, and they pointed to me. I was the last person to get in, or the oh second to last person. I get in. I've never been inside the Egyptian. I'm just like in awe. And then they seat me like right next to the exit in the very front row. Oh, so yeah. I don't see the movie, basically. No, I mean, but, it's but you on... see Peter O'Toole when he gets up there. So I see. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Be Peter O'Toole, and he has a great conversation. He gets misty-eyed talking to Ben about uh, working with Richard Burton and all these things. And then as he leaves, he walks right in front of me. And is shaking hands with people, and he shakes my hand, holds on to it, and turns around and waves to the crowd. And I'm like, I'm just holding on to Peter O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> don't fangirl. Don't let them see you cry. <laughs> That's such a good story. That's like the best Incredible. TCM story I've heard. Oh, oh yeah. No, gosh. that was, uh, they really, you know, put you right up there with the stars. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're giving me chills. I'm getting all excited for what's about to happen. I know, me too. I'm getting really pumped up. This is this festival now, getting ready, get your calendars, mark up your festival uh, schedule. This is what you should see. Each of us have picked a movie, and we're going to talk about why you should see this movie. All right. So my pick for the movie you absolutely have to see is The Passion of Joan of Arc by 
Carl Theodore Dreyer, I have two reasons. One of them is the logical reason why you should see this cinematic great, and the other one is the emotional reason why you should see this cinematic great, because the theme, after all, is moving pictures. So from a logical and historical basis, it was shot during a period of time that's really fascinating for international silent cinema because it is what's truly considered an international film. It takes, it takes bits of French Impressionist filmmaking and... German expressionist filmmaking and whatever the heck was going on in uh, the Scandinavian countries at the time, all of that very dour, very uh, lacking in um, like over-the-top mise-en-scene stuff that was happening up there. And Dreyer truly made it an international picture, pulling in talent from all of these different places. Things that weren't possible once sound happened. You couldn't have these multi-country pictures happening anymore. And so it is not only a great cinematic art, but it's actually a great example of the kind of country national cooperation that was possible during this time. On an emotional note, it is, as you can probably guess, since the title is The Passion of Joan of Arc, about Joan of Arc. Um, And it is an emotionally brutal movie in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, this isn't necessarily one that's going to have a happy ending. We all, I think, more or less know what happens to Joan of Arc, but... Spoilers. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. She spoilers goes, for history. She goes up in a puff of smoke. Um, and so it's a movie that takes place really only over the trial of Joan of Arc from the beginning of her trial until she is executed. And Dreyer really crafted a movie that... In some ways, I guess you could kind of call the first political thriller, but it feels much more emotional than a political thriller. He uses the transcripts of the actual um, of the actual uh, uh, trial uh, back in the 15th century, and he has this incredible leading lady, Maria Falconetti, who puts forth this luminous performance as as Joan. Like she really has a light that kind of radiates from within. Um, and you can see how fervently she, she believes and how brutally she's being punished for what she believes. It's an incredible movie. It's being shown with a full orchestra, which is incredible. Leaving aside the fact that Dreyer actually wanted it to be uh, wanted it to be shown without any kind of sound effects whatsoever, it's still going to be this amazing event to go see with this huge orchestra uh, playing the score, and it's really an opportunity, the kind of opportunity that you only get at something like the TCM Film Festival. Um, So it's absolutely 100% something that I refuse to miss, and I don't think you should either. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a story that's been told many, many times, but I think that Dreyer's version is still the definitive version, Mm -hmm. at least in my book. I mean, obviously there's an argument to be made for Brisson or, you know, Pick your favorite, but in in my book, it doesn't get any better than the drier version. Mm-mm. So, oh, yeah, I can't do better than that. Chase, yeah, kid. Come on, kid, you're hungry, right? <sighs> hey, why don't you think of all the tigers in India they're killing because they don't get enough to eat? Yeah, Kristen, you have a pick for us as well. Um, I do. Uh, it's very, very different. If you could pick the diametric opposite of The Passion of Joan of Arc, um, it would probably be the Robert Altman film, The Long Goodbye, <laughs> which is not an international co-production. It's not a silent film. It's not about a religious figure. It's about um, how much Elliot Gould loves cats. Um, no, it's not really. I This pick actually is, I think, one of my favorite examples of sort of the 
diversity and the sort of shifting identity of classic film. Because even though it does date from 1973, so we're getting into sort of post-classical Hollywood um, cinema and getting into new Hollywood cinema, the, uh, this film has a lot of elements that sort of like harken back to the classical Hollywood uh, days. And it stars um, Sterling Hayden, um, who's one of, you know, a star of film noir and, and other films from the from the 40s and 50s, but he had a long career. And so it kind of bridges those um, those sort of two worlds, that sort of old Hollywood and new Hollywood. But The Long Goodbye is an adaptation of the Raymond Chandler um, novel, uh, in my opinion, his best novel, and this is my favorite uh, Raymond Chandler adaptation, even though it's sort of non-traditional uh, take on the material. And it stars Elliot Gould as Philip Marlowe, who is, again, another non-traditional choice, but a very emblematic actor of the 70s. Um, and the interesting thing, well, one of my favorite aspects of this uh, adaptation is that it was written by Lee Brackett, um, the female screenwriter who had an amazing career. Uh, she also wrote the adaptation of the Chandler novel The Big Sleep, the one with Bogie and McCall. So that's a really interesting callback you know, that's uh, 30 years prior, so you have her working in the classical Hollywood system, uh, adapting uh, a Chandler uh, book, you know, for, for Howard Hawks, and then 30 years later adapting a different book for Robert Altman. So when you put those two films together, it's a really interesting look at, you know, um, how, like, the same person can create two vastly different movies about similar uh, subjects. And... Um, yeah, this is also a great Los Angeles movie. So I think people coming uh, from out of town to see the festival might want to check this one out because you can see a lot of sort of familiar uh, places in Los Angeles. It's a great Elliot Knight movie. And it's also the basis for what people are probably more familiar with, uh, uh, The Big Lebowski. So uh, the Coen brothers sort of took the rough outline of Philip Marlowe's investigation and the long goodbye for The Big Lebowski. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it more than more than I should probably, <laughs> and I would love to see it in a festival audience. And Elliot Gould is being um, honored, so th they're showing this, and they're also showing Mash, and they're doing sort of a a salute to him as a as a star. So I think if you're interested in '70s cinema and if you're interested in sort of uh, LA cinema, this is a, a screening that you want to go to. Yeah, it's weird to think of Elliot Gould as like receiving a lifetime achievement award. It's like, well, how I mean, could he it's, it's be old enough. It's less lifetime, but that's the interesting thing, though, right? Is because all of these stars from the '70s are sort of it's forty yeah, years ago. I know it's it can't forty years be. ago, and that's no. that, that's what's so interesting about as this festival goes by, and this is like the sixth sixth year. So as the festival goes on, it's like the, you're sort of moving up in the time frame of what constitutes a classic film and what constitutes a um, a look back, maybe a reappraisal about what becomes classic and who are the stars now from, I guess, the decade that you're drawing most from, from people that you want to honor is now the 70s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's how, how are we recontextualizing new Hollywood to fit in with, you know, the TCM audience, which is more of a classic Hollywood cinema audience. More so. of a studio system audience. Yes. Mm -hmm. No way you sweat me. You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bull. Really? 
That transitions nicely. I was going to say, because my movie is quite the new classic. It's just now celebrating its 25th anniversary, which is why you'll be screening at the TCM Classic Film Festival. It's Boys in the Hood, John Singleton's movie, uh, which he got an Oscar nomination for. He was the first African-American to do so at that time and the youngest. Um, youngest person ever to be nominated for yes. Best Director, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Still still holding on to that record. Um, it stars Cuba Gooding Jr. and Lawrence Fishburne. Um, it's a coming-of-age tale set in South Los Angeles, which... Uh, from my reason, uh, reasoning why you should go see it is this is a Los Angeles that you never see in movies. You still don't see this Los Angeles in movies. And I think for that reason, it's not only vastly relevant right now, it was still re- it was super relevant then. Uh, this was before the Rodney King uh, beatings and all the riots that came out of that. Um, so if, speaking of an L.A. movie, this is this is one you got to really see on the big screen. Um, and then for me, it's also a, a big deal because it's a, one of the new classics we kind of just talked about. Um, and I feel like something as young as Boys in the Hood, which came out in 1991, uh, might get ignored among a lot of the old standards. Like even on my list, like I have a lot of silent movies on there. Um, I have The Long Goodbye on there. And then I'm like, oh, Boys in the Hood, which is like a whole what, in the thir- 20, different, 20 year difference on Jump all of a sudden. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would hate to see um, this movie not get a big audience because I really think it needs to be seen and it deserves to be seen and recognized as a classic. Mm-hmm. This And I love that the festival picks this up. I think a couple years ago they did um, Do the Right Thing as mm-hmm. well with, with Spike Lee and uh, Malcolm, awesome. Malcolm X as well. Uh, they screened, I think, last year. So I like that they're picking up some of these sort of, quote unquote, newer films, but recontextualizing them in... Uh, for a classic Hollywood uh, cinema audience and also just putting them out there in terms of being able to be seen on the big screen because I think sometimes in other repertory programs are focused on sort of different national cinemas, different movements, different eras Mm -hmm. and even within like revival houses, you know, like maybe like, you know, the the new Bev or Cine Family, they sort of don't pick up on sort of these types of these types of films. So even if you, you know, go to rep houses pretty often you may not have been able to see you know um boys in the hood recently and it's it's always uh really interesting and i i'm i'm really excited to see this you know in in a certain audience in a certain context and have john singleton talk about it and maybe have him contextualize it on within the 25th anniversary and within you know it being screened on the same slate as you know, The Passion of Joan of Arc. That's, that's quite a breadth of history that we're covering. Oh, yeah. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to get to my real purpose. Wait just a minute now. Wait Mayor. for what? I don't know if there's a good transition from that movie to this movie. Well, I mean, we've Other than this will also make you cry. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, the film that I would like to talk about is um, perhaps the movie that most comfortably fits the theme of the year, which is... Uh, as we mentioned, moving pictures. It's the 1946 Weepy. Um, if it does not elicit a tear, I think there might be something wrong with you. But um, I am, of course, talking about Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. The um, film stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Um, <laughs> say, say Jimmy Stewart's Jimmy name again. Stewart? Jimmy Stewart? That's, oh, that's, yeah. that's yeah. great. Hee-haw, Merry Stewart? Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas, yes. 
It's happening. Okay. Um, all right. Well, um, hopefully most of our listeners are at least somewhat familiar with the story of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, every man George Bailey gives up every opportunity that comes his way in order to secure his family's legacy as the uh, savings and loan operation in this small town, the small town of Bedford Falls. And um, basically, the the story is that it wasn't an initial um, success on its release, but um, throughout the years, it the the popularity uh, built because it, in 1974 it fell into the public domain, and then it became a Christmas classic, a perennial Christmas classic, um, or when television networks picked it up um, in the 1980s, and ever since it has shown every December around Christmas time, and um, so basically, the question that I would like to pose to our audience is is um, why go see It's a Wonderful Life at the TCM Film Festival when you can just as easily wait until December to watch it comfortably on your couch at home because it will reliably be be screening probably on NBC or whatever it is. Um, and basically what I would like to posit is that the film is a great Christmas movie, but it's also just a great movie. And I think that we have managed to do it a great disservice by focusing exclusively on the Christmas element of the film. <laughs> is there chit-chat going on? Is there, is there something you'd like to say, Anne? I am keeping my <laughs> mouth shut. No, no, no. Share, share. Share with the uh, Well, okay. I'll, you, I'll give you a second. Hang on, hang on. So, But basically what I'm saying, like for most of the film, um, it's about um, making sacrifices on behalf of family and behalf of just some higher good. And it's about the nobility of that sacrifice. And it even kind of questions the nobility of that sacrifice at times. Um, and I think the film has built up a, re- a reputation as being kind of saccharine or overly sentimental. And I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's fair to be perfectly honest. And so by showing this film in spring, the middle of spring, I think it's a good way to kind of look at the film in a different light and maybe see it um, not so much as the perennial family, you know, uh, non-offensive, um, just sort of, I, I, I do feel like we are too quick to dismiss it as schmaltzy. And there is some schmaltz, to be sure, but um, it's also uh, deeply moving. I, I mean, I honestly, I really feel that way. So, um, but obviously, <laughs> there are those who disagree, and oh. that's fine. But um, yeah, I would ask that those who disagree maybe give it another shot. <laughs> please, please share <laughs> what's just, on your mind. Is that the dying. gauntlet being thrown down? <laughs> that perhaps, the gaunt- perhaps. <laughs> I have a long and very well documented dislike of Capra movies. I just I can't stand Capricorn. It <laughs> wow <laughs> trademark now. <laughs> it just has a tendency to wear on me for all of the reasons that Lady P so eloquently laid out. Uh, that being said, if I was going to go see it again, I would probably want to see it with the group that will be at TCM Film Festival mm-hmm. because it's going to be packed full of uh, folks who feel similarly about 
uh, similarly to what Lady P said about uh, Capra, about Jimmy Stewart, about getting to see Bedford Falls, mm-hmm. Bedford Falls, Bedford Falls, and um, you know that that sounds like a little bit like coming home. That mm-hmm. said, I will be in the next theater. Okay. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, I do think it would be fun to see it in a theater uh, full of. Because how many opportunities do you have to see a movie uh, in a theater full of people who know every line? That's true. The movie it almost becomes sort of a cult movie in a in a way, just because it's so f- culturally familiar mm-hmm. that I feel like the vibe in the room might actually just be worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I'm allowed to yell stuff back at the screen, <laughs> I will happily go. <laughs> it will be positive things. It will be positive things. I can say nice things about Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, like you know when the angel gets everyone who does the little ring. Mm-hmm. ring noise mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know i mean sort of a rocky horror style oh my uh, gosh can we call do that? back <laughs> no i mean I, I i think we're being like presumptuous about the you know uh, the a level of participation people want to have but i think that you're right lady p that this movie sort of is the essential pick it's like as soon as they announced the theme i was like oh it, like it's a wonderful life and mm-hmm. then sure enough it, it showed up but i do think it would be interesting to watch um a Christmas movie, not in Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. la- last year, they showed uh, Christmas in July, mm-hmm. which in is April. In April, <laughs> or March rather. Oh, um, yeah. And that um, that was really fun because that's a that's a sort of a similar um, movie to It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. It is sort of uh, gee golly wholesome, and uh, uh, but it, it was fun to sort of have that little um, transportive experience, sort of because you know when you go into you know, the dark and it's 90 degrees outside and you go in and then you experience something and it's it's nice mm-hmm. to sort of be taken to another time and another place full of people that are not really recognizable mm-hmm. in the in the, uh, in the world. Yeah. If I go, I'm wearing my Christmas sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I just quickly, I recently did another podcast on It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I guess it was actually last year. It wasn't that recently. 2016 has just flown by. But um we determined that Andre Rublev, the Andre Tarkovsky movie, is a remake of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> that is a deep read. Right? Wow. wow. How yeah. do you figure that? I'm looking I guess at... you just need to watch it and I'm, tell I'm, me if you agree. I'm looking forward to some Tarkovsky showing up at the TCM. Uh, film wouldn't fest. that be nice? Uh, that would be and, neat. You know, uh, memo to programmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing, the there's, note across there's, the table. There's nothing more than classical Hollywood film fans like more is three-hour Russian epics about art. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm really into that, so mm-hmm. get on that, Andre Rublev. Mm-hmm. I was just going to add real quick about uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I actually had kind of the opposite experience where I wasn't allowed to watch it for so long because my parents saw it and they were like, this is too depressing. Mm-hmm. And they would like wow. forbade me from having it on NBC at one time after I watched it and I loved it. I was like, Dad, Dad, you have to see this movie with me. He saw like maybe 15 minutes of it and he walked out. It's too depressing. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was just like not having it. It's too sad. That's so funny. It's like my dad's favorite movie. This seems like such a. This is like to me so inextricably linked to like my dad because mm-hmm. it's his favorite movie. Yeah. That that's all I think about. Is yeah. Just like that family aspect of it. Well, Aww. it's a movie I watch by myself at home around Christmas time. <laughs> Wow, everyone is bringing like such different experiences. Maybe, you know. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the experience at the screening will be have this level of diversity too. We'll see. To start the projector, turn the projector switch to project and the projection lamp switch to lamp. All right, now we have some other quick recommendations. 
So let's look at the rest of the schedule and pick a couple other films that we would like to see. We'll just go around the room and say what else is on our schedule. What else are we looking forward to at the next TCM Classic Film Festival? I'm looking forward to Band Apart. I hope I said that. Band of Outsiders. The Jean-Luc Godard. 1964 film. Um, Jean-Luc Godard is kind of a polarizing figure in cinema history. A lot of people really like him. A lot of people really don't. I I have mixed feelings about a lot of his work, but I unabashedly love Band of Outsiders. I think it's one of his most uproariously funny films. Um, I think it's just an absolute delight. And the real reason to go is because Anna Karina will be there. And uh, I think... That's, that alone is reason enough to show up to the fest. Um, my picks are two more movies from the 70s because I'm just a shill for New Hollywood. Um, I think the film that I, I'm really most excited to see uh, beside The Long Goodbye is, is Fat City, which is a John Huston film. And this is another example of um, sort of a classical Hollywood uh, figure sort of going in a, into a new direction. And uh, Fat City is... Um, a Houston movie, but it's from 1972, so it's very different from, uh, you know, the Maltese Falcon. I mean, that's it's quite a quite a gap. Um, but this stars uh, Stacy Keach as a uh, sort of a an aging boxer and a very young um, Jeff Bridges plays his his protege. And Stacy Keach is a character actor that I think we take uh, take for granted. He is spectacular, and he is spectacular in this in this movie. Um, and he's going to be uh, feted and, and honored at the festival, which I feel like it's it's about time because he's, you know, was never like an A-list guy, but he's just like a reliable character actor. And this is like a sort of a rare starring role for him. Um, so Fat City is really good. It's a great boxing movie. It's just a great, like gritty uh, movie about guys who, you know, can't catch a break. And um, I would also say that The Conversation uh, the Francis Ford Coppola is getting his hand and footprints uh, out uh, in front of Grauman's uh, this year, and they're showing the conversation, which is by far his best movie, um, starring Gene Hackman. So if you haven't seen that, or if you haven't seen it on the big screen, I would definitely recommend going that. That's a movie that really um, demands a high-quality sound system. So um, seeing it in uh, these theaters is uh, definitely better than watching it on your laptop. All right. Well, um, after my dour Danish film about a damsel getting barbecued, I'm going to head over to uh, see a different kind of smoldering, which is Marlena Dietrich in Shanghai yeah. Express. You did. Well <laughs> you, played. You there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm not above camp. Incidentally, neither is this movie. I was teaching my students about camp today and it just occurred to me that instead of like trying to explain the weird you know it when you see it vibe I should have just put screenshots from this movie up and been like that that is camp everything Joseph von Sternberg does in this movie everything Marlena Dietrich wears in this movie everything Marlena Dietrich says in this movie is the most delicious kind of over the top only the studio system in the early 30s pre-code days could do kind of camp it all takes place on a train but there are 1000 extras why because we can um it's it's, just a very busy commute that day (laughs) yeah it's supposed to be this serious melodrama about lovers coming back together but marlena dietrich says things like 
It took more than one man to change my name to Shanghai Lily. Why? Because they can. It is a <laughs> brilliantly fun, probably tearjerker, but mostly just extremely fun movie of two artists at the top of their craft and it's von sternberg and dietrich both would you say this is their best collaboration oh hands down mostly yeah. because like the next couple just completely go off the rails like there's camp and then there's whatever the hell scarlet empress is what? i was just gonna say that scarlet empress is really <laughs> strong I, I can't i can't abide you dissing scott what about the gauze so, so much gauze. So much gauze. Mm -hmm. Well, in Shanghai Express, they limit the gauze to over Marlena Dietrich's perfect cheekbones. Like, they know when yeah. to cut back. Not on the ostrich feathers around that. It's The costumes in this movie are really just bonkers. So, if you haven't seen it, I highly suggest it. So, go watch Marlena Dietrich seduce and then throw away men. Um, I'm going to be the, the total classic here um, and suggest that people not miss seeing the freshman and the kid. I have a huge soft spot for a silent comedy and I love seeing it with an audience because when you watch it by yourself during silent movie Sundays, you don't really get that same feel as you do when people are watching it around you and you can hear the laugh and it's just as much as part of the soundtrack as whatever accompaniment is playing. Uh, so definitely see if you can get out to one of those. And another one that just caught my eye was the 50th anniversary of the movie The Endless Summer, which since we were talking about L.A. movies, mm -hmm. seems like a pretty good one to throw up on there, or at least California. <laughs> mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, that's like the quintessential 60s California. It's sort of like exported uh, the, the, yeah. the ideal of the state at that time to the rest of the country mm -hmm. along with the beach boys those two things earn that poster on your wall that's right don't be a poser <laughs> see the film wow that took a turn <laughs> we don't judge you if you have movie posters i think that about wraps it up for our tcm classic film festival preview we would love to have your feedback tweet at us if you're seeing a movie if you would like to suggest a movie uh, that you're looking forward to at the TCM Classic Film Festival, please tweet us at RepSquadLA. Find us easy there on Twitter and on Facebook and Tumblr. Now, Lady P. Yes. Uh, before we sign off, I do quickly want to just say, if you like us, you should subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, you might as well give us a good rating. Pretty, pretty please. Until next time, I'm Lady P, and you can find me on Twitter at FlixWise. I'm Monica Castillo, and you can find me at MCasti Movies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. You can find me at We Recycle Movies. And I'm Kristen Sales. You can find me on Twitter at at Sales on Film. Uh, until we meet again, here's a little sneak peek of the films we intend to talk about next time on Rep Squad. Hey, Pete. Isn't that your daughter? Ta mère était déjà une féministe avant son âge, avant son temps. Et il vivait en harmonie, il savait bien. As for the key, it was not symbolic of anything. This isn't that kind of movie. Shake that thing, baby. One time.